0: racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has
1: a big hand in what occurred in that Tops market. The
2: suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs
0: that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're
1: going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth.
2: And this is Dave Debo. For this segment on the program, we'll be chatting with Emmanuel Kulu he is an educator concentrating on black history, but his take on it is a little different. He looks at the need for a discussion of Egyptian history and all of the culture there and how looking at that ends up enriching the lives of black Americans today. There's a, a school of thought, and we'll get to this in a little bit out there, that um, basically sets Egyptians in a separate class and kind of denigrates uh, their contributions as not being black, he pushes back against that. Emmanuel, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me, Dave. Glad to be here. Tell me about, and, and we'll get to your particular take on African American history in a minute or two. Tell me about uh, the, the importance overall of teaching history.
1: Well, history has to do with a person's group or self-esteem. And specifically when we're talking about group esteem, Professor Robin Walker, he was an African historian. He taught how a person's group esteem is attached to who they are and who they can be. So when you look at the average African-American, they have very high self-esteem, according to this study that he did, but very low group esteem as to how they feel about their group, which is your, your culture, your religion, or your race, particularly. Now so, that, that's interesting. If, if they feel good about themselves, mm-hmm. how is it that they don't necessarily feel good?
2: about their racial heritage.
1: Right. Now, this is according to the study. Now, this study is basically saying that they have the self-confidence to overcome, but the connection to the actual heritage or what is the actual culture has been called into question. Is it just based off of transatlantic slave trade or the things that have been overcome in the civil rights movement? Is that all? So those things... In totality, it does not equate to much for some people. So therefore, it doesn't lead to that balance, group esteem and self-esteem. Is
2: there a lack of racial pride?
1: I'm I'm not going to say that. I won't say it's a lack of racial pride. I believe every group has to find racial pride one way or the other. But the not knowing the history, when you talk to someone, let's say someone, an Italian person, right? He may have never been to Italy before in his life. But the traditions are still passed down. The traditions of what type of foods you ate, what type of clothing you may have worn, uh, you know, even some of the language you may be able to understand. But if you may ask an African-American about what type of foods did you eat in Africa, or what type of uh, you know, cloth did you guys wear, or the different things like that, they may not know that. So that sense of pride in that would not be there. It would be absent.
2: And let me probe that a little further. Uh, if I was brought over as a slave and, and mm-hmm. never told my traditions, exactly. just plucked from, I don't know, Cameroon, uh-huh. uh, by the time I get here to the United States, I don't have that sense of history. Exactly. And I would also think if, if there is a lack of knowledge on the different histories that someone brings, mm-hmm. you have to consider the fact that the history of Cameroon, is different than the history of Egypt, is different than the history of the Congo, and so on. Mm -hmm. So the the different geographies mean that they would need to embrace a different history, Uh but in all those cases, ones that they're not necessarily aware of. Exactly.
1: So now think about that for a second. You brought up a very, very good point. Now, in here in America, anyone of African descent would be labeled black, Yeah. Right. So you take all of these different countries, Cameroon, Nigerians, Egyptians, South Africans, Ethiopians, Somalians, and you put them in this one group and say they're all black, but they all have different cultures within Africa different from each other yeah so it's 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 very tough to do that and that's where the re- racial construct of america has problems where you put all of these people from different cultures into one group of being black he may be irish
2: he may be german mm-hmm. but this guy's just black universally exactly, black exactly okay yeah you're specifically your your heritage is from cameroon yes what do you know about those traditions that mm-hmm. informs your teaching
1: well, my father, he always uh, schooled me on the, how Africans were very traveled people. So even though my father was from Cameroon and his father was from Cameroon, who knows if they didn't migrate from the Congo, from North yeah. Africa, from East Africa, from West Africa, because Africans moved according to the regions. For example, like in Egypt, in the ancient days, Egypt was a very tropical region. But over time, it became a desert. So people started moving out of there. And Africans did things according to the nature. So as the nature of these places got bad, you know, went into, you know, famines happened, crop failures happened, people moved into different parts of Africa and different parts of the world as well.
2: All right, now let's talk about what is taught in schools or or just in general. Mm-hmm. And then we'll touch on the stuff that you do specifically involving the culture of Egypt. Okay. How do you feel that... Black history is taught now.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, usually when black history is taught now, it's taught from 1619 down to the present day. So we're talking about the transatlantic slave trade. We're talking about the slave times. We're talking about the Emancipation Proclamation. We're also talking about civil rights. And then down to, the very, to this very day, contributions to music, art, innovation, yeah. technology, things of that nature. When we talk about um, even some of the African-American history that has been suppressed, you're talking about constant inno- innovations, inventions that they were not allowed to patent. Very important things that should be highlighted for African-Americans to have accomplished despite being in slavery, despite being in segregation. Those things are very, very important. But it's still a very small episode of what black history is.
2: It's interesting because I've used this example before. Um, I grew up in a white suburban school district. When it came to Black History Month, we learned a little bit about Booker T. Washington, Mm -hmm. and we learned that George Washington Carver invented peanut butter. Right. Right. Um, And that was an innovation they could point to. See, there's a black man who invented peanut butter. Mm -hmm. What kind of innovations and inventions were you just talking about that don't end up being taught? from an African
1: heritage perspective? Well, let's for one example. There's countless examples. Um, That would be a long conversation. But for one example, the binary codes that are used in computers to this very day came from ancient West Africa, uh, which were used in some sort of rituals, so to speak, that individuals had to be a part of the priesthood in order to learn those rituals, which were later used, those same formations were used in binary codes that we call today. Going back to ancient Egypt, ancient Egypt, we talk about um, the even the, the form of Freemasonry comes from the ancient mystery schools. So all of these things lay back to some sort of sense of Black history, what we call it today. And why isn't it taught? Well, history belongs to the victors, right? <laughs> I knew you'd go there. Yeah, that's why I asked. So um, you know, it's obviously not something of the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans. They had no issues giving credit to the ancient Egyptians, the ancient Kushites as the people who had the first knowledge that they brought to the world. So they constantly gave reverence as you have guys like Herodotus, you have guys like uh, Hippocrates, you have guys like Aristotle, Aminus, Marcellinus, uh, Socrates, who constantly gave reverence to North Africa as the foundation of knowledge. Um, But we started to see around, I would say around the 1600s, the 1600s where you started to see a change in how Africans were seen throughout history. Um, Even in Spain, you had the Moors who ruled for over 700 years. Um, So they were well-respected and well-known around that time for how they civilized Spain and different parts of Europe as well. So... Um, I would say around the 1600s, 1700s, you started to see a change in how blacks were viewed. And more than likely, it was because of what was happening in transatlantic slave trade that this civilization that was now conquering these other different groups of Africans could not allow them to say, hey, we actually learned from you guys in the ancient days. you know. So that wouldn't have been profitable for them.
2: And your work specifically looks at some of the Egyptian things that were mm-hmm. discarded or not not taught. Exactly. Um, tell me a little bit about your work. I know you've written mm-hmm. some fiction, mm-hmm. but you also do a, uh, accounts of Egyptians, mm-hmm. but you also do a huge amount of teaching and consulting to sort of raise up the idea mm-hmm. of Egyptian culture
1: as something that blacks should revere. Exactly. 3200 B.C. We're talking about uh, the beginning of this ancient Egyptian civilization, um, when you go to Egypt, you're constantly seeing black statues, black monuments. you are seeing the Washington Monument that we still see to this this very day. Yeah. And the obelisk. Uh, the right. obelisk. Um, even some of the temples that were built thereafter resemble that. So we can look at the things that we see today and still reflect back on Egypt. You turn over the dollar bill, the $1 bill, you still see the eye of Horus at the top of it. Right, right. right. And you also see the pyramid there. This represented awakening, knowledge, enlightenment, so to speak. So all of this stuff is connected back to ancient Africa, which African-Americans can hold as something to be very proud of. Because at the end of the day, what we have been taught in this country through our common core curriculum is that anyone who looks like us has done nothing great or contributed nothing to society. But we're seeing very contrary to that if we take it further back than 1619. Can blacks
2: truly claim Egyptians? I've read some things. uh, I think the UN even weighed in saying that they weren't necessarily homogeneous enough that you could say all Egyptians were black. They could have been black. They could have been a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is it or how is it that you're able to claim Egyptians as black and then use that to
1: say that heritage is important to be taught to black Americans? Well, we can use even the Greek scholars, who are considered to be the most revered of all scholarship. You know, I mentioned Hippocrates, Herodotus, who is considered to be the father of history. He mentioned that these ancient Egyptian people were black Africans. Most of the men of Egypt were black and African. But let's be very clear about this. Ancient Egypt was a mega civilization like the United States is today. So you had different people from different parts of the world coming into this mega civilization. So let's not um, disregard that there were other people from other nations in Egypt. Predominantly, it was a black African civilization. And these are based off of these Greek historians that we know, based off the sculptures and the different uh, depictions on hieroglyphs of these Africans, and also the Egyptians themselves, who were called the Kemites, which means land of the blacks, they came from the south. So many believe Somaliland, Uganda, or Kenya was the original home. Was the
2: okay the, was origi- the original
1: home of these people who came up and conquered Northeast Africa and started the Pharaonic
2: period? In our knowledge of African history, mm-hmm. is Egypt neglected? No.
1: I believe Egypt is put at the forefront but I will say it's whitewashed. Okay.
2: <laughs> I will definitely say it's whitewashed. But both in the true sense of the word and whitewashed. Yes. Okay, yes. tell so me more.
1: I will definitely say that uh, one of my favorite uh, Egyptian movies Ten Commandments I absolutely love that movie, but it's inaccurate. It's inaccurate as according to who were these actual people. Um so um but again the story is the story but the um the, the depictions were inaccurate. There's another film um gods of Egypt that came out. And they actually apologized for depicting an all-white cast for the ruling elite of Egypt and predicting and having um, a—and casting an all-black cast for the slaves. So they—as you can see, they tried to use what common—what's happening commonly and put it in the ancient days. And then you also may see some films that depict the ancient Kushites, which were modern-day Sudan, and— and as as blacks, and the Egyptians as white or Middle Eastern, to say that they hated each other because of race, uh-huh. which is not the case. These were two African groups, separate tribes, okay, separate nations, and some believe that Cush actually gave birth to Egypt. Um, but in the reality, sometimes these nations were allies, and sometimes they were also enemies.
2: Why are you Egypt-centric? Um, mm-hmm. Is there... Yoruba culture in Nigeria that has been neglected and not celebrated? Is there culture you mentioned uh, in Somalia or Sudan Mm -hmm. that has been neglected and not celebrated?
1: Well, not Egypt-centric particularly. Um, I started in Egypt because it is the first. I think that's very, very important. But all of these We need to have holistic history when we're talking about black history. And you can't have that within a month when you're talking about from 3200 B.C. all the way down to the very present. Um, So, yes, I start there. But we also go into Zululand. We also go into ancient Carthage with Hannibal Barca. We also go into ancient Kush with Queen Imani Reyes and uh, Taharqa and all of those great kings. We also go into Absinia in East Africa. We go to Akzum in East Africa. We go into the Yoruba, as you mentioned. We go into Timbuktu in Mali with the Mansa Musa and his brother Abu Bakr. So all of these different episodes are important. But to have the holistic picture, we have to start from where ancient African civilization and civilization itself began in ancient Egypt or Kemet is what I would say.
2: All of those stories that you listed, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'd like to think I'm a fairly well-read guy, mm-hmm. many of the stories you just mentioned I have not heard before.
1: Wow. And,
2: and I, I'm thinking, and I don't want to push you any place you don't want to go, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking you could argue, yeah, Dave, there's a reason for that.
1: There is a reason for that. Tell and, me more. You know, um, when you talk about guys like Mansa Musa, who happens to start—his his name has been rising up lately, so I'm going to just start with him. He's considered to be the richest man of the A.D. period, okay? So you're talking about an estimated of 400 to $500 billion in gold. So now we're talking about people who are going to be subjugated into slavery of West Africa. How could we empower these individuals with knowing that there was a man who looked like them, who was considered to be, until this day, was considered to be the richest man of that time? Again, these stories of rich history could not have been uh, told to people who were going to be enslaved because it would, it would inspire them to do what their ancestors did. Now that we're in a place where the United States of America has become more of a melting pot, it's very important for everyone to come into this study. So when we're going into African history, we can look at what science tells us. Science, Professor Louis Leakey, who happened to be an anthropologist yeah. and he studied. He didn't stay in Europe. He didn't stay in the United States. He didn't stay in Asia. He found himself in the Horn of Africa. And when he found himself there, he, there he be believed to have discovered the first human remains. We don't want to go science. We can go biology. We can go also biblically. The, the first nation or civilization, according to the book of Daniel, is ancient Egypt. Yeah. So whether we believe in any of these things, and I mentioned this in my TED talk, it still leads out of Africa. And that's for civilization and humanity, Period. So that means black history is essentially everyone's history. How
2: long have you been doing this work? Mm -hmm. And during that period of time, have you seen a change? Certainly during the time of slavery, Mm -hmm. they're not going to mention uh, revolts that could inspire slaves to rise up. Mm -hmm. But here we are hundreds of years later. Mm -hmm. Are we starting to recognize the kind of things that you're talking about? and how is that progression? How is that timeline? Have we seen these things start
1: to get a little more? I think we we are starting to see it. George Floyd did a, a, you know, the George Floyd situation woke a lot of people up to what's happening in America, Mm. uh, systematically, as well as the things politically that are happening. And I think people's minds are now open to saying, well, African-Americans weren't just complaining. These things are actually happening.
2: And 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 I've heard a lot of theories on that. Um, George Floyd, because of the way it was caught on videotape, Mm -hmm. was not abstract. It was in my living room. It Mm -hmm. was in your living room. Yes. It was omnipresent. We couldn't close our eyes and not see it because Mm -hmm. it was there, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was there. It was right before our eyes. And I think now people are saying to themselves, well— this isn't just something African-Americans were just complaining. They just couldn't pull their bootstraps up and just get themselves together. It's it's not as simple as that. There's still simple, some oppression, but we are seeing the awareness being raised. And even a uh, shout-out to um, Dr. Fatima Morell in Buffalo Public Schools because now we have an avenue to come into the schools and talk to the children about these things.
2: She's the associate superintendent for, and I'm, I'm probably butchering the title, but something to the effect of, Culturally and linguistically relevant.
1: Yes, yes. Studies. Yes, yes. My Nubian sister. (laughs) She would be mad if I didn't address her that way. All right. (laughs) Shout out to you, sis, because, you know, she's been um, really, really strong with uh, constantly bringing me on, having me speak with the youths. We did some African art, mass making. Uh, We did a whole African culture um, from 3200 B.C. down to the present day Uh, in episodes, again, to show how people of color, and not just people of color, but uh, for how people of color have contributed to world history way more than we actually know.
2: But again, what's the trend line? Does it start the upward spike with George Floyd, or in the course of your doing this, have you Mm -hmm. seen awareness change?
1: Definitely in the beginning. when When I came out with my book- When was it? Um, that was two, I, I started writing it in 2016. I actually had a cover for it in 2017. So I, I posted it on a, on a, on a book site on, on Facebook, actually, a book group. And um, man, when I tell you, I got so many death threats and hate mail over the title of the book. What's the title and what's it about? Tell me why people hated it. Well, it's a Sudanese man on the front of the cover. He's very dark skinned and the title says "I Black Pharaoh Rise to Power." Now, to be very clear about the term "Black Pharaoh," that doesn't mean black skin. In ancient Egypt, they used okay because th- this goes back again
2: to what I said earlier. A lot mm-hmm. of scholars in the UN have said, "Hold on, Emmanuel, mm-hmm. Egypt isn't necessarily black."
1: Yes, yeah, and this is why. But you
2: use it in a different
1: context. Go ahead. Right. So, so in that context, when you see jet-planted black Egyptian statues. That represents ascension into the next life. Like there's a there's an all-black painting of King Tut or King Tut Moses III. That doesn't mean that there's particular skin complexion. It just means particularly that they had ascended into like a god form. So it kind of represented like completion to these ancient Egyptian people. So when I say I black pharaoh, that means the pharaoh of completion. Okay, rise to power. So that was in regards to Tutmosis the third, and he is considered to be the greatest conquering pharaoh of Egyptian history. So people seeing him as a black man, I think they had a, a problem with that. Uh,
2: is it is it fiction? to it's a histo- It's historical
1: fiction. So yes. so you novelize the characters, but the characters are real. Yes. Okay. Yes. What year? Uh, it came out two thousand twenty, and the second one came out in twenty twenty one. Only three years ago, and you were getting death threats for that. Death threats. Yeah.
2: That surprises the heck out of me. Now, if you had said 10 years ago,
1: Dave, 15, Mm -hmm. I would have thought, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, there's even been articles. There's an article that came out about Kevin Hart, who's combining with uh, uh, this shout out to Black Sands, who makes similar work to what I do. Uh, They do actually black Egyptian comic books. And Kevin Hart uh, bought into this business, and he's faced a lot of hatred as well. And I'm just saying, hey, I've been there, done that. You know, um, I think it's very tough because, again, when you're talking about uh, civilization being African or black African, some people in modern day Cairo would look at that as saying, are you saying this land belongs to you? And are you saying if we say that it does belong to you, then essentially we owe you something. Ah. (laughs) And this is the big fear that's going on. So most of the Egyptians that are still that are black, they're still there. It's almost like the United States in the Native Americans, right? Obviously, four or 500 years ago, America looked completely different. Same thing with Egypt. Thousands of years ago, you're talking about civilization that was two or yeah, 3,000 years ago. Everything changes. Everything changes. Yeah. You know? So if you go to uh, modern day Nubia, Aswan, Luxor, you're seeing your more black Africans. But in Cairo, you're seeing your more Arabic, Turkish looking individuals. And those individuals hold on to the fact that uh, Egyptian history, they claim it as their own instead of giving reverence to those in the South.
2: I'm going to be really blunt, uh, and and I don't want to spin a conspiracy theory here, but you you spoke earlier about how it's the victors that write history. Mm -hmm. Is that racism, is the Egyptian heritage purposefully Mm -hmm. being tamped down so it cannot be claimed Mm -hmm. by black people? And, and used, as you said at the beginning, to, to promote their heritage and well-being and, and pride.
1: Absolutely. And when you think about Egyptology, when Egyptology began, it began coming from a perspective of biblical studies. Okay? So making this connection to Egypt uh, was very, very important for the Israelites leaving, you know, Egypt and all of those things. So that being said... Um, they could not allow that great history to be told from an African perspective. And again, these were done by scholars who were predominantly white, and they were affected, obviously, by systematic oppression in education as well. So they would not and could not allow uh, it to be taught as African civilization.
2: All right. When we return from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about this. We'll look at depictions in media. We'll look at the things that Emmanuel Kulu takes into the schools. We're talking with Emmanuel Kulu. He's a historian, specifically looking at African history and how it needs to be embraced in modern curriculums. More to come. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. <laughs>
1: WNED Classical has been conducting interviews of their own on YouTube with the classical music community. Have you ever wondered what goes into the performances you hear on WNED Classical? Head on over to our Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube page to see the collection of interviews that we've orchestrated. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one.
0: Watch the WNED-PBS original production, The Adirondacks.
1: We've come closer here to a, a working balance between the natural world and the human world than just about any place on Earth.
0: The Adirondacks, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station.
2: This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. I'm Dave Debo. We're continuing our discussion with Emmanuel Kulu, Local author, historian, a man who has done a lot with the schools, and we'll get to that in a minute. Before the break, we were talking about depictions Mm -hmm. and how, again, victors write the history and some parts of history aren't necessarily included. Talk to me about the Marvel movies, Wakanda. Mm -hmm. You like it. You're grinning already. If we were TV, (laughs) you'd see it. His face lit up as soon as I mentioned it.
1: You know, um... Wakanda, when I think about it, and uh, this, this really lit a smile between me, because when this film came out is where a lot of the pressure from the hate mail stopped because everyone started to embrace African culture. You started seeing people with the djembe drums. You started seeing people with the dashikis on. And, and these weren't African people. These are people all over the world. Yeah. Um, so for the first time, African history, black history, started to be looked upon in a good light. So um, I really appreciated that, that, that film and what it did when it came to the consciousness of Africa.
2: At the same time, I want to talk about other media. Um, there's a new series based on The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And some of the actors in it, I don't know if you knew this, Emmanuel, but mm-hmm. some of them are black. And <laughs> hobbits can't be black. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, to, ha, have we made progress enough when we see Wakanda on one hand but the new Lord of the Rings uh, discussion on the other.
1: You know, th- that's a very, very important topic that you mentioned. Um, because we, we talked about the Moors a little bit, right? So we know that there were Africans doing tremendous things in Europe, in Asia, and even in Americas before Columbus. Um, so it's, it's good to see it. Um, but again, we do see that racism, that hate mail that comes up in films like The Lord of the Rings and things like that, um, we, we saw it in Star Wars as well. I don't know if you saw that, where there was a um, a bounty hunter in the Star Wars film who was a black woman. And they she received people, a lot of hate yeah, mail as people well. People freaked. So um, in the aspect of the film production, yes, we are making some progress. Probably more. I would like to see uh, more African films from a historical perspective. Um Instead of just fantasy, um, okay. There's so many stories. Well, I mean,
2: you, you mentioned Star Wars, and I can't not go here. Mm-hmm. Darth Vader, mm-hmm. black cloth, mm-hmm. played by a black man, mm-hmm. villains. Mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker, bathed in white, yes. the golden boy, yes, <laughs> played by a white actor. Um, and 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 in George Lucas's defense, I'm sure that there's been a lot written about how he borrowed from. Universal mythology the whole Joseph yes. Campbell stuff yes um, throughout history black is villain white mm-hmm. is hero.
1: yes And this this goes back into the, the constructs of black and white, right One is looked at as negative. And one is looked at as positives. And we can look at any white person in the world today. No one's white. Yeah, <laughs> and that's we can a look very at any, good you point. Know, black people, and there's some very, very dark people like myself, but they're not completely black. So, again, when you start labeling people off colors and you got all these cultures and you put them in a, in, in a box and say, anyone of this particular Skin complexion. Check this box, and anyone, have, you know, yeah. again, this is this is the constructive. Step. When
2: I speak of my heritage, I can say German. Right. Uh, the guy next door can say Irish. Mm-hmm. The census forms and all of the EEO forms just ask black or white, mm-hmm. and puts you from Cameroon in the same box as maybe the Egyptian or maybe the 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 man from Zaire.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And just say you're all one people but if you go to different parts of africa you you'll find that some africans don't identify as the term black they just identify maybe as somali this maybe is an, an this Indian is European. a this is an american thing this is a western thing absolutely it's a western th- well i'm not going to gonna say to, american because it's, I also almost did. Yeah. it's also in the uk it's also in the uk um any p- place that's probably like a superpower now more than likely you're going to see those type of black white you know Asian, things like that. But for the most part, um, it's not in Africa, okay? Um, maybe South Africa, maybe, yeah, yeah. because they dealt with apartheid particularly, but for the most part, you're not seeing that.
2: I, I have some experience in South Africa, and, and back during the apartheid times, everyone thinks, so. Oh, it was just not the vote for black people. Mm-hmm. There was all sorts of categorization. Mm-hmm. Indians. Half blacks, blacks, uh, mixed were, were, race. Yeah, all of them were, and, and I'm not even going to use the words that they do to describe it. Mm-hmm. But uh, all of them were uh, segregated into different boxes. Exactly. So they didn't even just go, "You're German, you're Irish," but you're black. Exactly. They they divided it up into subcategories of of. Uh, wholesale discrimination or moderate discrimination, depending on what bucket someone was placed into.
1: South Africa would definitely probably be the closest to the West in Africa when it comes to those type of categories, Mm. census categories.
2: And yet they are one of the only, I think they're the only country, That has a national anthem right now Mm -hmm. in at least three languages.
1: Yeah, and they're the wealthiest as well in Africa. All right. (laughs) Beautiful. Cape Town, shout out to Cape Town, shout out to Zozu Bini Tunzi, who was uh, Miss Universe a few years ago, a good friend of mine, and also Sasha. Really? You know her? Yes. yes, Very cool. yes, Yes. I actually had a, a few of them on uh, a not Zozi, but I had uh, Sasha Lee Laurel, who was 2019 Miss South Africa. I had her on my podcast. Very, very nice young woman.
2: Before I uh, move on to the work you do in schools, I'll give you a chance to plug the podcast. What is mm-hmm. it?
1: Uh, IBP Media Group. Okay. On YouTube. We're just on YouTube right now. Um, you know, we're not as consistent as we were a few years ago because I've been very, very busy. Um, but for the most part, we plan to get back on track in 2023. All right.
2: Now, talk about schools. I saw Mm -hmm. something on social media this past week celebrating some of the work that you've done in a classroom. There Mm -hmm. were pictures there of you with students. Take me through the process. When you go to Mm -hmm. a school, tell me what you tell them. Tell me what you do. You spoke earlier of drums and masks, Mm -hmm. but I imagine there's probably also a lot of talk about Obelisks and Tutmosis.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we talk about, you mentioned obelisks, for example. I mean, there's over, I think, over 100 obelisks spread around the world. Um, and probably way more than that, because I think every downtown has one. Yeah, <laughs> McKinley <laughs> Monument in, you know, right here. Right, right yep. Yeah. So, um, but from that came from Egypt, I think it's about 100, if I'm not mistaken. So that's very important to connect individuals to seeing things that they see in modern day. Students, young kids, seeing things that say, this came from Africa. You know, it's very important to know that. Even the pyramids, again, we talk about the dollar bill. Um, the White House, very, very important one. I was a part of a seminar by Professor uh, Kaba Cabane. And Kaba Cabane mentioned... The same hands, the same black hands that built the pyramids built the White House. And in fact, there is a temple in Egypt called the White House of Haru. Oh, wow. And the White House of Haru means the White House of Horus. Very interesting to know that that actual name came from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt. So just connecting the youth back with those things. We know mass making is very important in West Africa. It was a big thing. So that's also uh, the something the students can relate to, African dancing, African drumming, those things as well, getting them into the culture. I uh, was even part, part of um, BFC, BFNC. Buffalo
2: Federation Neighborhood Centers. Yes. Right.
1: I also did a co- uh, conference there. They even brought African food in. Uh, from Buffalo Suya, uh, from Yali's, these great uh, African restaurants. I Yali's on Kenmore. Yes. nice. Yeah. So, so shout out to them for doing that. Just so, and then Dr. Fatima Rural, who we mentioned earlier, um, she just had the Urban Forum at East High School, which was an African explosion. I mean, you're talking about African dancing, the djembe drumming, as we mentioned. There were some historical um, um, African historians who were in the building. Um, I came just to show my support. Um, it, was just, it was just beautiful. You had African-American history. All of this is important. I think sometimes when we talk about uh, African history, some people feel that are we cl- excluding black American history? Absolutely not. For this holistic picture to be holistic, you have to tell the whole thing. So you have to tell it from 3200 B.C. to the present what African-Americans were able to accomplish despite oppression and suppression.
2: What age groups, what classes do you teach this to? And tell me a little bit about their reaction.
1: Right now, I'm working with 6th through 12th. Um, goal- so tail end of middle middle school and high school. Yes, yeah. those, are the, those are the ones I was working with Fatima with. Um, the goal with my company, Ancient African Antiquities Research Institute of America, which is... Aria for those A A A R I A. Our goal is to make one from K to twelve a curriculum. So we're going to try to build that curriculum, and we're going to start right here, pitching it to New York State. That's the, first of all, New York State education. I may be biased, but I believe it's the best education in the world. If we can get it in our curriculum here, we can go anywhere with it. So that's that's very important. But right now, six through twelve, the goal is K through twelve.
2: What, what, what do they say or do when you present this material to them?
1: A lot of them are shocked. They're surprised. I figure that's part of the reason why I asked the question. They're yeah. shocked. They're surprised. And, you know, I start off always asking them, what, tell me some things that you know about black history. Of course, they'll mention Obama. Right. They'll mention.
2: Here Dr. we go Martin again. King, George Washington Carver. Carver yep, Washington Booker Carver, T.
1: Washington. Yep, yeah. Yep. And Martin Luther King. They There's no Amanhotep's. There's no Akhenaten. There's no Tutmosis. There's no Mansa Musa. Well, you know, I'm not going to say that because there actually has been Mansa Musa for a few times. All right. Um, there's there is some Shaka Zulu. My great ancestors, yeah, by yeah. the way, um, Shaka Zulu has been mentioned. Um, there's no Abu Bakr. Uh, there's no uh, Kandaka Amani Reyes who went toe to toe with the Roman army. Um, there's none of that, you know. So giving them that education to to see people like themselves that have done monumental things, wonderful things, and like their film, The Woman King. That Woman King film, another film that really brought a lot of awareness to what was happening in West Africa. But I need to add also that African women were the first women to ever rule kingdoms. And Africa has produced more women rulers than anywhere else in world history. Okay, so that's very important to know. But also. We're also going to be including the things that Africans did that probably weren't so pleasant. Because if we're going to tell the holistic p- picture, we have to talk about how Africans sold other Africans. We have to talk about how there was enslavement in Africa. We have to talk about uh, tribalism. We have to talk about those things as well. Um, and that's not always just going to be this big, pretty picture.
2: Very interesting that you say that. Earlier on this program, I had Dr. Garrett uh, King from UB. Mm-hmm. He directs their Center for the uh and Again, I'm not gonna. I'm butchering the title, and I apologize to Dr. King. Something to the effect of the the Center for Black History Studies and Racial Literacy. Yes. He teaches people how to how to teach Black History, and he has eight different principles. One of them is exactly what you touched on. Mm-hmm. Don't and a small W. Don't whitewash it. Mm -hmm. Um, The complex characters in literature are complex because there is some contradiction. No one is completely good. No one is completely bad. Exactly. If you're telling the story, you do have to include that other side of the coin to make Mm -hmm. all of this real.
1: Exactly. And shout out to Dr. King as well um, because we collaborated last year on Teaching Black History, the conference that he did at City Honors. I was a part of that. He's doing amazing work. He's also uh, was present for this uh, open forum at uh, East High School, the Urban Forum. Um, he's just doing amazing work. So shout out to, to Dr. King as well.
2: When the, the students realize this, do you actually see a change? Do they then comment and say things like, wow, A, I didn't know that, and B, and I'm sure they wouldn't voice it this way, and B, I feel better about myself knowing this? Talk yes. about the the effect.
1: I had um, a student that I was working with about two weeks ago, and she's from Sudan. And I was talking to her, and she says she heard about Kandaka, Manureyes, and Taharka, and these other kings of of Kush.
2: Let me pause just for a second. When you say from Sudan, is that her heritage or is she literally a refugee or immigrant She's right now? She's a refugee from there. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay.
1: And she said, there was no kings there. There were We, there, we never had kings. I said, oh, oh no. yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, you did. And she was just so surprised to hear it. And it just, it dawns on me and it, it really, really kind of hurts a little bit that people from that area of the ancient Kushites, have no clue about the ancient Kush kingdom. So in the education system, it's not even being taught. It's not even really being taught orally as it should be. So that has to do a lot with with the, the pressure of Western Common Core curriculum being the standard kind of across the globe. So even to the point where people of this land are not even sure of the actual history. And we've seen the same thing with Native Americans right here in America.
2: New York State mandates a black history curriculum to some degree. Mm-hmm. Schools have to teach this. Yeah. Uh, there's not, uh, again, according to Dr. King, there's maybe not a lot of accountability enforcing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no universal yeah. curriculum saying, here's how to teach it. But there is nonetheless that requirement that mm-hmm. it be taught. So now I want to pick you up and transplant you um, and, and maybe use your experience in Buffalo schools to to tell me a story what if you were to drop into a school in Arcade mm-hmm. or, or a predominantly rural white area? Mm-hmm. What sort of reactions do you get from the, the, the non-people of color in Buffalo schools? And how would you necessarily tailor or change your instruction in order to Really educate mm-hmm. a whiter audience.
1: Well, I did Harvard University. I also did Boston College, which was a predominantly all. I would white picture it, audience. yeah. Yeah, um, but it wasn't all, but predominantly. Um, and again, it was received very well. Again, there was there was some weird questions and Q and A. Like what? Give me an example. Um, let's say um, could could this be considered uh, blackwashing? With your with your history lesson Ooh. could this be considered blackwashing? okay you know, things like that um, how do we know for sure uh, that the ancient Egyptians were black? again I gave these that is an area of dispute I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give them
2: that but but yeah. if, if people are using that to discredit your entire thought mm-hmm. process then there's a problem there.
1: Yeah I mean but for the most part it was respectful but I did get some some, pushback. some weird questions okay. some pushback um, but for the most part um, it was received very well. Um, I would say I don't change anything. I keep everything as real as it is, you know. Um, I don't change and say I'm, I'm less black proud when I'm in front of a white audience. Okay, no, that's cool. Um, that's not how it goes. But what I will say is I always have been the type of individual and educator to try to bring every human being into the scope of Africa. And that connects back to what I mentioned about Professor Lewis Leakey, uh, people's belief, whether they believe in the Bible, biology, science. It all connects back to Africa. So that is the common ancestor of all humanity.
2: Part of the reason I ask, and and I know politics is by its very nature divisive, Mm -hmm. but I've heard a lot of people say that when Barack Obama brought forth blackness, Mm -hmm. that he was being divisive, Emmanuel. Um, is this teaching something that could bring people together? Push back against the argument.
1: I think it, it does bring people together. I, again, when you start to have that thought, and Kaba Kabané says everyone on the planet is African because everyone came out of Africa. Cradle so, of civilization. Cradle of civilization. Cradle of civilization. Right. Right. civilization. Yeah. Again, when you have commonality, you can agree. You can come to some sort of agreement. For example, the Berlin the Berlin uh, conference, right? This was a time in the 13th century where this happened. Uh, the Berlin conference happened in the 18th century, but in around the 13th century, you started seeing European nations fighting amongst each other. Europe, France, yeah. Belgium you know they're fighting each other. It's coldest time. You have what you call the bubonic plague happening, killing millions of people. Crop failure, all of these things are happening in Europe at the time. And they finally sat down in 1884 and 1885 and said, you know, there was a guy in the 1400s. His name was Mansa Musa, and he's traveling across the Sahara Desert, giving away all this gold and bankrupt Egypt for 12 years. So there's wealth in Africa. And these guys, they came together, a common agenda, despite their differences culturally, and said, hey, this is where it is Uh. in Africa. And this is where we started to see the mercenaries, the Vasco da Gamas, the Christopher Columbuses, traveling to different parts of Africa, America, and even India as well. So commonality brings people together. So for everyone to come into the scope of Africa, absolutely it does bring people
2: together. More to come. This is Buffalo What's Next on
0: WBFO. Buffalo is home to many historical treasures, including architectural gems. Central Terminal affected everybody. Everybody from the common man to the movie star walked this concourse. Beloved community establishments. They might get a glimpse to see Lena Horne. uh, They might uh, see Dizzy or Miles Davis, uh, you know, Charlie Parker. And homes for local sports teams. When we talk about an institution, Memorial Auditorium was an institution. The WNED-PBS original production, Remembering Western New York. Explore some of these iconic structures and their connection to people who live in the region.
1: There was a time when Buffalo's Main Street was the focus of holiday shopping
0: in Western New York. Watch Remembering Western New York now on YouTube. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station.
2: Emmanuel Kula was with us. He's a historian. He's an educator. He uh, concentrates on... uh, I I don't want to stereotype you as, as someone who looks primarily at Egyptian stuff, But I know that's a lot of your work. That's your Mm -hmm. books. To some degree, that's your TED Talk. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to broaden, though, apart from the discussion of education Mm -hmm. and put this in a little bit broader context. We're talking a little bit about divisiveness. Mm -hmm. How how can there be less segregation? How Mm -hmm. can there be more chances for people of color to have these kind of discussions with people who are white?
1: Mm -hmm. Well— you know, I would say, I would say, um, it's 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 really just based off experience. If you choose to live in a community that's not diverse, I mean you may struggle with diversity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um if you choose to work in a community that's not diverse you're going to struggle with diversity yeah so
2: during the sentencing last week of the mm -hmm, top shooter mm -hmm. one of the family members offering a victim impact statement at at one point got incredibly emotional Mm -hmm. and even screamed at the shooter you don't even know black people Mm -hmm. we care about our children and, and on and on saying that Hey, we're all the same, and you just don't get it.
1: Exactly. And that's exactly the point that I'm making here. When you don't know something and you're told something, Richard Nixon once said that American people won't believe anything unless they see it on television. You're seeing white (laughs) replacement theory. You're seeing all these theories out here. And different people cling to these theories. You're even seeing Afrocentric theories as well. And people cling to them. And, again, they are misled. Because they have never really experienced. And then when they do come into contact with these people that they were told so many bad things about, it's like standoffish. You know, you're not open-minded to it. Again, this is is part of the systematic oppression, which affects everyone. So when you're talking about common core curriculum and the miseducation of black history, it's not just for black people. Everyone had to be miseducated in order for this type of oppression to continue. So it's very important for people to know, even when when different uh, different groups that are now considered white who weren't originally, when they came into the United States at the time, they were just above African slaves, right? But the ruling elite at the time, they realized, they said, hmm, if we allow them to stay where they are, they're going to start to get with the slaves and revolt and cause this big revolt. These were other immigrant people who were coming into the United States at the time. And they said, well, let's tell them this. You are, you are, uh, if you work hard enough, you can have positions over the slaves and eventually you can become like us. Mm-hmm. So this is how they were treating other immigrants coming from Europe uh, in the beginning, wow. slave times. And then um, over time, they used that to say, You're still a part of us, not them. But in reality, they were still on that middle level, low level. So these type of things have happened throughout history to keep people divided.
2: Controversial question here, and I'm asking it very rhetorically. Mm -hmm. Does racial pride, and I'm not even going to put it in the the terms of an idiom, black pride, Mm -hmm. um, does racial pride in general
1: become divisive? It can. It can. It it definitely does. Um, I think... And this is why we, when, I, when I do my seminars a lot of times, bringing everyone into the scope of the history is yeah. very important because whether if you believe in science, you can say the common ancestors in Africa. If you right, believe in cradle the Bible, of civilization so, again, right. If you believe in the Bible, you can say the common ancestors, Adam. Um, so one way or the other, we all come from the same thing. So we're all one people. So all of this color stuff is really just divided. In the ancient days, people divided based off culture. So for example, if the Egyptians ate uh, a certain food and the Israelites didn't, that would yeah, be divide. Yeah.
2: Keep kosher, but, don't keep good right.
1: Right. Today, it's skin color, yeah, okay. <laughs> which is pretty ridiculous because you know, birds don't even divide over color, you know what I'm saying? Birds will different color, they see a bread on the ground, they're all gonna go to it and eat yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, so maybe bigger and try to move another one out the way, but the reality is, if there's food, they're all going to go to the food together. So um, this is the the thought process that I think uh, we need to come together and understand that Africa is important to all history. You can talk about the, um, the resources. Very important to talk about. 46%, I believe it was 2016, said 46% of raw materials come from Africa. You're talking about the coal tan that we, use, the coal that we use in our cell phones that yeah, bounces right. off the satellites. You're talking about the cocoa for the chocolate, the coffee that a lot of us drink from Tim Hortons or wherever yeah, Starbucks. Agree, yeah. You're talking about the gold, the diamonds, or oh, the silver, the copper, the rubber from the Congo. Oh my, the rubber! Uh, all of these different things that come from inner Africa. All of this stuff matters to everyone. So that being said. Again, coming into the, every, bringing everyone into the scope of African history is very important.
2: Last question, and you can answer it as narrowly or as broadly as, as you feel it, uh, feel it fits. Are you optimistic either about the state of race relations, the state of uh, black history education? Mm-hmm. In a general sense, uh, are you optimistic? And if not, what, what upsets you or makes you perhaps uh, grieve for the future?
1: Well, you know, one thing about business is um, when there's a need for something, you feel that need. If people, st- yeah. people are thirsty, you, you come up with water.
2: Marketing so, abhors a vacuum.
1: Right. So obviously I know that there's an extreme need for this uh, in the DEI space, in the history space. Um, I am optimistic with some companies are starting to create DEI spaces, are starting to open up to having. I mean, you've got museums that would have never called me 10 years ago. But now are calling me in. So, yes, I am optimistic. We're working with different companies, school systems, universities. Um, But at the end, there's still a lot of work to be done in order for us to really get to that point where we're seeing true diversity, and inclusion in education.
2: Emmanuel Kulo, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Dave. If people need to get in touch, how do they do it?
1: Yes, you can get in touch with me with org. That is aria.org. You can also reach my direct uh, assistance email, which is info at gmail.com. You can also find uh, information on my books at i black where you can uh, purchase the book if you're interested as well Um, but I'll be doing speaking seminars around the country as I've been doing virtually and and as well as in person so you'll see me he's
2: easy to find, Emanuel (laughs) Standard (laughs) Spelling KULU, K-U-L-U, just google it and there he is, again thanks for doing this this is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO hd one Buffalo. On W-O-L-N Olean and W-U-B-J Jamestown, I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for being with us.